it's great to be back with you. I know you were all served really well by David Erickson, our elder last week, who kept us going through our series, Jesus and the Ten. And so we'll pick it up again this morning. Uh, let, me, let me start with letting you know of a little historical, kind of a funny story in some sense. In 1631, a man by the name of Robert Barker and, and Martin Lucas were fined 300 pounds by King Charles I. Now, in 1631, 300 pounds is a lot of money. It was close to a lifetime's earnings. So you have to ask, what were these two men fined such a huge amount for? Well, they were fined 300 pounds by the king because the Bibles they had printed, they had misprinted them. They ran about a thousand copies of these Bibles, and their crime was omitting one simple word. They forgot to include the word not. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, the seventh commandment was put completely on its head because what has become known to history as the sinner's Bible or the wicked Bible translates the seventh commandment as, thou shall commit adultery. (laughs) And because of that crime of forgetting that one word and completely reversing the seventh commandment, King Charles I fined these men 300 pounds apiece. Now, the, one of the last available copies of the Wicked Bible, uh, with the last 10 that are available, went on sale in England last, uh, a couple of years ago for $20,000. Now, the story of the Wicked Bible is actually kind of funny because it was such an egregious mistake. Unfortunately, adultery is rarely a mistake. In the era of Ashley Madison, you remember Ashley Madison. For those of you who don't remember, that was a website that had a major data breach about three years ago, and the website's sole purpose was to facilitate extramarital affairs between married men and women. In the era of Ashley Madison, adultery is rarely ever a mistake. In fact, it's one of the most intentional yet mindless decisions people will ever make in their lives. In some sense, in some very real sense, adultery, it symbolizes the very nature of sin itself, doesn't it? When you think about all the elements that go into adultery, betrayal, deception, faithlessness, pain, brokenness, it is the essence of sin itself. So profound is that sin, yet in the seventh commandment, it's just given with hardly any necessary need for self-explanation. It's five simple words, thou shall not commit adultery. Huge a concept as it is throughout all of Scripture, it only requires those five simple words because the truth of it is so compelling and clear. Unlike commandments two and four in the Ten Commandments, That goes into great detail, God goes into great detail, detailing their importance as if to convince us because the truth of those commandments don't seem readily apparent on the surface. Commandment seven, it's a very economy of words. It's so self-explanatory, it's so obvious how wrong it is that it just requires the charge. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Yet for all of its obviousness, Adultery is way too common, even in places where we expect that we wouldn't find it. So, for example, in the Ashley Madison data breach, there were 15,000 confirmed official government emails associated in in that website database. According to LifeWay Research, which is the kind of research hub of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention, the Southern Baptist Movement, they confirmed between 300 and 400 emails of pastors and elders. 
One prominent theologian was exposed in the data breach and had to step down from a nationwide, actually global-wide ministry. And one professor, pastor from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary committed suicide because he was exposed. It wouldn't be far off the mark to say that adultery is the sin of humanity. To take a, uh, a page out of David Erickson's playbook, the Bible is not just a murder mystery. The Bible at its heart is a story of adultery. The Bible is a story of a faithless God from Genesis to Revelation, a faithless God pursuing and loving a faithless people, a faithless spouse. Thankfully, our infidelities, however, don't lead to God divorcing us, not because of anything we have done, but because of God's great love, which is the standard of all loves, can even overcome such betrayal as adultery. And so we want to look at how that plays itself out by making three points this morning. Number one, the command against adultery. Number two, the price of adultery. And finally, the forgiveness for adultery. Let's look at them one at a time. Uh, before we begin, though, I think it's George Orwell who says it is the the duty of responsible men to state the obvious. So before we jump in, let me just define what we mean by adultery. Adultery is whenever a married individual engages in consensual sexual relations with someone other than their husband or wife. So it's pretty straightforward what adultery is, but we want to be clear what it is, is when a married individual involves themselves in some kind of sexual or consensual sexual relationship with someone who is not their husband or wife. And according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, that isn't just in physical interactions, that can be a consensual or a relationship of the mind towards someone else. But like all of God's commands to us, in order to fully understand them first, we don't start with the horizontal plane. We have to understand what this means to God before we understand what it means to us. And there are many reasons that God gives and commands against adultery, but this morning I only have time for four. So I'm going to give four brief reasons why God commands against adultery. You don't need to write these down quickly. You'll see them as individual uh, slides up there. Number one, the first reason is we are made in His image. As individuals, we are made in the image of God. That's why He commands against it. God commands against adultery because we are to reflect His character in our marriages. God commands against adultery because we display His redemptive plan for humanity in our marriages. And fourth and finally, because of these things, adultery is a sin not only against God, but against our spouses and our families. Let's look at them one at a time. The reason God commands against adultery is because we are made in His image. You all know from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and following, it says that God created humanity in His image. We were to reflect God. We are His image bearers. And so whenever any one of us enters into a promise or a covenant, which is exactly what marriage is, we, like God, are expected to keep that covenant, keep that promise. We are to keep our word because God is a God who always keeps His word. Our whole confidence of our salvation, our whole confidence of the benefits and blessings we have in Christ is resting upon the fact that God always keeps His word. The prophet Isaiah said of God in Isaiah 45, 19, I am God, I speak the truth. 
James, in our study of that book, he said in chapter 1, verse 17, it's all good and per- every perfect and good gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. In other words, there isn't anything in God that causes him to shift or change, so there's no shadow as if the sun moved and cast a, a, different, a, a shadow on the ground. God does not change. Jesus said in Matthew 5, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. In the book of Psalm, Psalm chapter 15 and verse 1, the psalmist asks, who can dwell with you, O Lord? And he answers his question in verse 4, the one who gives his word swears even to his own hurt and keeps it. God expects us to keep our word because we are made in his image. And friends, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you are only worth your word. That is all you are worth is your word. And if a man or woman will not keep his vow of faithfulness in the marriage vow, there isn't a promise he or she won't break to someone else. So God commands against adultery because it is a broken promise and being made in His image, we are never to break our words. When adultery takes place, that's exactly what we do. We break our words, we break our promise, and we fail to image God. So God commands against adultery because it's contrary to the very image we were created in. God also commands against adultery because we are to reflect Him in our marriages. Think about this for a second. In marriage, we have two very different people coming together as one and living together for the rest of their lives. Now, take a moment and stop. Two different people coming together as one, living together for the rest of their lives. Does that seem similar? Does that sound familiar to you in any way? Think about, get, go back in your Christian minds, your database of your understanding of God. Does that sound familiar? Because it should. Marriage is a display of the very character of God. We have one God in a diversity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, dwelling together in community for eternity. We have a diversity in unity in community. In marriage, you have two different people coming together to live as one and build community together. Our very marriages reflect the structure of God's character itself. And so God commands against adultery because when marriages break apart, that is saying that the character of God is being mocked because the unity and community has been destroyed and all that's left are differences. So God commands against adultery because the character of God is mocked when relationships, marriage relationships fall apart because every marriage is supposed to reflect that aspect of God in His personhood. A unity in diversity, living in community, that's exactly what marriages are supposed to be like. So thirdly, God commands against marriage, not just because we are made in His image, not just because we are to reflect Him in marriage, but because we in our marriages are to display His redemptive plan to humanity. 
Now, we're not going to read it because we don't have the time, but if you're a note-taker, write down Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 32. And particularly in verse 32, Paul says, and Ephesians 5, if you're not familiar with that passage, Paul's talking about the beauty of the husband and wife relationship and how they are brought together in marriage. And in verse 32, Paul says, this is a profound mystery, but I say that it reflects Christ and His church referring to marriage. And so marriage is a reflection of God's plan of redemption. In other words, when people look at wives in marriages, what they ought to be saying is, I get it. I get why Christians love and follow and submit their lives to Christ because I'm seeing that in all Christian wives to their husbands. When people see husbands, people should be saying, I get it. I understand how Christ sacrificially loves and lays His life down for His people because I'm seeing it in all the Christian husbands loving their wives. That's Paul's point in Ephesians 5, 22 to 32. When he says this is a mystery but it reflects Christ and His church, he's saying every marriage is a display to humanity, millions of displays of humanity of God's redemptive plan, how we love, follow, and submit our lives to Him, how He loves and sacrificially gives His lives for us. And so when marriages break apart from adultery, when that happens, it's communicating that the gospel's a sham. That either we won't follow Christ or Christ will not give His all for His people. And so God commands against adultery, not just because it's, it's contrary to His very image, it mocks His character, but it also calls the gospel a sham, that it does not work. And because of these three reasons, we have reason number four, that adultery is a sin. First against God, and secondly, against our spouses and families. And you see some passages of Scripture up there. In Genesis chapter 39, we have recorded Joseph's example. He's a man, he's an example of a man who resisted adultery. And in Psalm 51, we have David's confession who gave in to adultery. In each case, in each case, Genesis 39.9 and Psalm 51.1, both Joseph and David recognize that their sin is primarily against God before it's a sin against anyone else. Now, yes, Joseph fully wells and Genesis knows well in Genesis 39, if he were to sleep with Potiphar's wife, that would be a betrayal of trust against Potiphar, who looked so highly upon David. He understands, or uh, Joseph, he understands that. Yes, in Psalm 51, David fully wells knows that he betrayed Uriah's trust, and he even murdered Uriah. If you're not familiar with the narrative in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David, and this is a compelling passage if you're a note-taker, write that down. David sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, and takes her as his own. In verse 5, when she communicates to him, King David, I'm pregnant. Rather than recognize his sin, he calls Uriah back from the battlefield, gets the man drunk, and then sends him home to be with his wife, hoping that he will lie with his wife Bathsheba, and he will think that the child is his. But you see, in, in, in David's drunken stupor of lust, he didn't count 
that Uriah would be more honorable and godly than he. As he found out the next morning, Uriah, even though he was drunk, fell asleep on the steps of the king's house. And when the king questioned him about it, Uriah said, far be it from me for the king's men to be on the battlefield fighting for the king and for me to enjoy the comforts of home. I will stay and guard the king. Wow. Rather than be convicted, David gets him drunk a second night and does the same thing. Twice, Uriah proves himself to be more honorable. And so finally, David resorts to literally assigning Uriah's, signing his death note, rolling it up, handing it to the man, and telling him to give it to your senior commander. And Uriah is murdered in battle. David knows in Psalm 51 that he had sinned against Uriah. How could he not? But when he says, against you, against you only have I sinned, what David is saying, what Joseph is realizing, what is true about all sin is that it's first a vertical reality between God and man before there's a horizontal reality between man and man. Now, let's tie this back to the, the Ten Commandments we've been studying. In other words, if you will not hold true and obey Commandments 1 through 3, there is no way that you are going to obey commandments 4 through 10. And to put it in New Testament terms from Matthew 22, 37 to 40, if you won't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will not love your neighbor as yourself. That's just the way this has to go. You cannot have commandments 4 through 10 without commandments 1 through 3 firmly in place. That's why Christianity cannot teach simply moralism. It cannot teach just a simple system of ethics. It has to make someone love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength because that is the engine that makes commandments 4 through 10 possible. So God commands against adultery because it mars his image, it mocks his character, it, it reduces the display of the gospel to nothingness, and it's a sin against him and humanity. And the price for that is just too horrible to pay. And that's our second point this morning, the price of adultery. Now, in studying uh, for this Sunday, I came across uh, an interesting paper uh, by some economists at Yale University. Apparently, they released a white paper actually discussing what does adultery cost. And Forbes magazine distilled it down to some easy numbers. The price of adultery today in America, in its easiest terms, is about $2,664. In case you're wondering, that's a monthly breakdown of $444 over the, the average length of an affair, which is six months, so $2,600. So $2, but what this number doesn't reveal, according to Yale, is the extra secret travel expenses, the cell phones, the extra credit cards, the extra apartments, and all these add up to tens of thousands of dollars. Now, that's just the financial price of adultery, and we know very well that that is not the true cost of adultery. And God knows very well that it's not about a financial transaction that he's concerned about. He's concerned about many other things. But let's take a briefly look at the price of adultery. Number one, it will cost you your reputation. Now, granted, if you're familiar with the old literature, some literature, we don't give out scarlet A's anymore, but when and if people find out, they may forgive, but it's hard to forget. They will remember you. You know, they say your reputation does one of two things. It either precedes you or it follows you. 
and this is one of the prices of adultery, your reputation. Even if people forgive, it's hard for them to forget. Number two, adultery might cost you your job. Depending upon what career you are in, this is a given. Ironically enough, the CEO of Ashley Madison was fired for numerous discretions, and one of them being an alleged affair. It may cost you your job. Certainly cost the job of those three to 400 pastors that were in the database of Ashley Madison. Number three, it'll probably cost you your family. The statistics tell us that two-thirds of all uh, marriages that endure an adulterous affair end in divorce. Number four, adultery will cost you friendships. You see, it's not just the spouse that is betrayed, but everyone who thought they knew this individual. At the very best, those friendships become awkward. Those conversations just become difficult, and most people find it easy just to turn it away. So adultery will cost you friendships. It also costs you your emotional health. Telling lies, betraying affections, living two lives takes its toll. And like all sin, the life that adultery promises, and, and that's what adultery promises. It, it promises that you're going to get something that your marriage is lacking, that it holds out something to you that it'll give you. All sin does that. Why else do people pursue it? But it only it promises life, but only delivers death. This is true of all sin. Look at Proverbs chapter 9, verse 17 and 18. The, the pro, the, this is what he writes. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell itself. See, the Bible acknowledges that there is pleasure for a season in sin, but the end of it is always death. And we see that clearly in Proverbs, the first several chapters of Proverbs, as it's a father discipling his son, and one of the main things he keeps warning his son against is the adulterous woman. He says, yes, you may think that bread is sweet, you may think this is great, but the end always ends in death. So adultery will cost you your emotional health. And then finally, adultery will cost you your legacy. Friends, your reputation, men, women, your character can take a lifetime to build and only five minutes to burn it to the ground. You might get remembered for slaying the giant. You will get remembered for sleeping with Bathsheba. Adultery will ruin your legacy. These are the prices of adultery. And it is so much more. Now, let me just spend, let me do something a little bit rare. Um, I just want to take kind of an aside and get real practical with you. As a pastor, I deal with families falling apart with adult, from adultery more than most. I was thinking about it early this morning. The first time I had to walk a family through adultery was in 1989. I was 19. And, and I tried to, at this point, I've lost track. It's not that it's not important to me, but it happens so frequently, I've just lost track. It's probably safe to say there hasn't been a year that I've been involved in ministry that I haven't had some kind of relationship, some kind of connection to an adulterous situation in some kind of family. So what I want to do is, and the stories, while sometimes radically different, there's always a core similarity to them. And I have sat across the table from more husbands, more wives, more families than I care to remember 
helping them think through how do they get to this point. So what I want to do is just give just basic do's and don'ts. What I've always been surprised is that in adulterous relationships, it is an amazing combination of, on the one hand, absolute cluelessness mixed, and often in the same individual, with masterful manipulation. And it's always been astounding. And I have been blown away at some of the most simple rules of safeguards to have in your life that these people did not have implemented. So for some of you, what I'll say, you're thinking like, duh, doesn't everybody do this? But I can say through 30 years of ministry and countless marriages falling apart because of adultery, this is not intuitive. And so I'm just going to be straightforward and lay them on the table for you, okay? Um, and please, and I want to address this, I want to address the Superman syndrome, right? You know what Superman syndrome is? The feeling that you are actually unique and invulnerable to these things and you're okay. And so you don't need to pay attention to what I'm saying. If you think that, the chances of you being in my office, going through an adulterous affair or picking up the pieces increase exponentially, right? An unguarded strength is twice the weakness. So here we go. Let's talk about some do's and don'ts. Let's start with the don'ts. Uh, let's talk about with, uh, and you don't have to write all these down. I've put them all in our community group questions, so you have them there, so you don't have to furiously write these down. You can just listen. Let's talk about men first. Don'ts, okay? Don't spend time alone with a woman in private who's not your wife. Duh. I mean, how easy is that? Friends, you would be surprised how often men are not thinking about that, This not realizing this is not a good idea. Do not spend time alone with another woman who's not your wife, period, hard stop. Just don't do it. You think that's obvious. It's not. In the last three years, I've had to sit across the table from a man who almost blew his family to pieces, and he had no idea that this was not a good idea. Don't spend time alone with another woman, period, hard stop. Don't need to repeat that. Maybe I should have had a bold slide. If she's not your wife, by the way, this applies to single guys, right? You don't want to torpedo your life before it's gotten started. Don't spend time with another woman who's not your wife alone. Now you're going, well, then how do I date? The point I'm getting at here is you need to be very wise who you spend your time with, okay? Very obvious. Second one, just as obvious. Don't have physical contact with another woman who's not your wife. Just don't do it. And I know in Christian community, we're always greeting each other with hugs. Hey, friends, do the side hug. Do the A-frame hug. Don't do the frontal embrace. You just don't need to do that. Now, I know, I know what's going to happen. Every woman's going to be self-conscious about how they hug me now, right? So, that's just true, though. Side hug it, A-frame it. There's no need for the frontal embrace. If she's not your wife, don't get involved in physical contact. You don't need it. Don't get involved in the back rubs, the foot massage, the hand rubs. You should not be doing any of that stuff if she's not your wife. It's going to be real blunt here, friends. Don't touch another woman unless she's your wife, period. Number three, don't pray alone with a woman who's not your wife. Don't, do, don't, be, impro, don't be alone and praying together. That's too intimate. Don't be alone with a woman praying privately with her. That's just way too intimate, okay? Don't get into that practice. 
Number four, don't drive a woman home alone. I know we have some of our youth workers here, and we're talking primarily about marriages, but guys, don't take one of the young girls from our youth group home alone because she needs a ride. Don't do it. Do not be stupid. Get another female youth leader to go with you. Get somebody to be with you. Don't drive a woman around by yourself. Number, number six, five, I'm losing count. Uh, if this is an issue, if there's some concern, if there's some tension in the marriage, don't have separate social media accounts. Don't do that. At the very least, you should be friending each other so you see each other's feeds on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is. But if there's any relational tension, you should not have separate social media accounts, okay? Again, these are very obvious, they're, very, they're, they're, they're intuitive, but I can't tell you how many times I'm talking to men and they didn't think about this. Let's talk about some things for the women. Women, ladies, this is obvious as well, but again, George Orwell says the responsibility of, or the duty of responsible men, state the obvious, don't dress inappropriately. Ladies, young and old, there's a difference between fashionable and attractive and being seductive. And you know the difference. More importantly, men know the difference. So don't dress inappropriately. Number two, it's a corollary to the one for the men. Don't allow other men to be physical with you, period. You don't have to be cold. You don't have to be unapproachable. Be chaste. Have the dignity befitting a married woman. If he's not your husband, his hands should not be on you, period. Don't feed, ladies, this is important, don't feed another man's ego, right? Now, there's a difference between biblical encouragement, that's always good, that's always healthy. Empty flattery is not. Be, be wise to know the difference. Don't feed their ego. That is like, that's like a, a Red Bull to a man to get those kind of compliments and that attention from a woman. Don't feed their ego. Encourage them in the Lord, and then that's it. Fourth, don't have intimate conversations with another man who's not your husband. I don't care how good a listener you think he is, he's faking it, okay? Don't have intimate conversations with another man that's not your husband. If you need that kind of connection, that's what you have godly sisters for. Now, if you need a man's opinion, that's why God in his wisdom has given you a father. Maybe he's given you a brother. I don't mean brother in Christ. I mean a brother. If neither of those will do, talk to a sister in Christ that you'd like to get a, her husband's opinion and be all in the room together while you're having the conversation. Don't have intimate conversations with a man who's not your husband. The point I'm trying to um, illustrate with these, with these lists is the vast majority of adulterous affairs, adulterous relationships, don't begin with sex. They begin with inappropriate intimacy. The vast majority of affairs that I've walked into, worked with, that I know about, have not started from a one-night stand. They started from inappropriate intimacy. So beware of those things. So let's talk about some do's, right? Those are the don'ts. Very obvious, but so unobvious to most people. Some do's. Pray with and for each other routinely. Do that. Husbands, when was the last time you prayed for your wife? Wives, when was the last time you prayed for your husbands? When was the last time you prayed together? Pray with and for each other routinely. Laugh with each other frequently. Enjoy life with your spouse. Laugh together. Number three, grow and serve sacrificially together. 
maybe I should refrain, grow and serve together sacrificially. Get involved in the trenches of life with people and for people. Do it together. Four, esteem and respect each other in public regularly. Esteem and respect each other in public regularly. The reason I make that point is it's really popular in our culture to put down your spouse in public, especially, honestly, right now, it's the dumb, dorky, goofy guy that everyone likes to make fun of on television, right? And it's very easy to do that, wives. Don't put your husbands down publicly. Even if it's trendy and cultural and acceptable to do that, esteem them. Boast about them. Husbands do the same about your wives. Don't compare someone else's cooking to your wife's cooking unless it's favorable, right? Do those things. And social media doesn't count. Okay, can I say that? I have literally, um, 10 years ago now, nine years ago, walking through a situation with a a family, going through an affair and the fallout from that, and on their social media feed, you would have think they were like madly in love and everything was awesome. So what was going on was kind of damage control, protecting their image to the world around them while inside everything was falling apart. So don't boast about your spouse on social media. You can. That just doesn't count. Esteem them when you're with other people. Not foolishly, not flatter, not sinfully, but encourage them. Esteem them, right? That's just a good, godly thing to do. A couple other things. Practice the presence of God. Friends, especially in our study of James, you know we are everything we do, quorum Deo, right? The Puritans would say, before the face of God, everything we do is before God's face. Every thought you think, every action you perform, it's before the face of God. Remember that. Memorize the Word of God. Uh, I meet with a bunch of guys from our church pretty regularly to read some books. Every month we read a different book and we memorize different passages of Scripture. And without doubt, the most fruitful time is us sharing this memorization of God's Word because it gets into us. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your Word? Verse 11, How... uh, uh, um, Oh man, I just went blank. (laughs) Psalm 119 verse 11 is, How can a young man keep his way pure? Oh, one more time, nice and loud. Yes, your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Obviously, I haven't treasured that one enough, but yes, that's the verse, right? (laughs) Memorize, thank you, Jimmy. Memorize God's word. And then finally, joining with the people of God, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting the meeting, the gathering together, all the more while the day is coming getting together with people of like-mindedness. Because the the rules I just gave you, the world is mocking. You know what the world calls those, right? They're commonly called the Pence rules, right? From our vice president, godly man, who he got it himself from Billy Graham. They were called the Graham rules. Be around like-minded men and women who won't think you're weird because you don't want to hug every woman in the room that believe that being chaste is a godly good thing. Be encouraged by those kinds of people. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not uncommon to all men. Be with people who know the struggle and can be there with you to help you in the struggle. Friends, I remember talking to a a buddy of mine and he said to me something so shocking. He said, yeah, we were talking about this issue. He said, I'm about, I'm probably about six months away from adultery. Now, I know a lot of people just even now, we go, whoa, how? and I thought, 
and we kind of like, whoa. And then we thought about it and thought, oh, this guy is brilliant. Because he knew that he was able to be tempted by adultery. If you think you're not, you don't know what the Bible says about you. And he was honest enough to know it. And he was putting in his lives. He says, I've got probably enough of a walk with God, enough structures built in my life, enough relationship with my wife, that it'll probably take ten, six months of constantly being hammered with temptations and, people, and things trying to get into my life before I could fall into adultery. How many months before you might fall into adultery? What kind of defenses do you have in your life? How long would it take before you are torn down where you're tempted this way? Have you ever even thought about it? What defenses do you have in place? These are prices that we pay for adultery, but it's not the biggest price of adultery. You know what the biggest price of adultery is? The price of forgiveness. That's our last point. And if you have been sinned in, against in this way, you know that only you can pay that price. But you need to know that God has paid that price as well. And He is not asking anything of you that He is not already and not willing to pay Himself. You see, all human adultery merely proves the deeper and more significant faithlessness that resides in every human heart. Human adultery is a striking metaphor because it uniquely captures love betrayed, faithfulness trampled upon, unity destroyed, and innocence lost. In other words, human adultery is merely the result of a deeper betrayal and faithlessness, spiritual idolatry. You see, this is exactly what James's point was in James chapter 4, verses 4. Do you remember when we studied that together? When James, it was, it's, it's really the, the emotional and spiritual climax of the book. When James says, why are you fighting? Why are you always at each other? Why don't you get along? Here it is. You are adulterers. You see, they had loved their own preferences, their own desires. They had loved themselves more than they loved God. The, the one that they made covenant with, the love that they promised to the one that they should have given it to, they gave it to others. And James put his finger right on the problem. He says, your spiritual idolatry is really spiritual adultery. And all real adultery is just the symptom of idolatry of the heart, that we love other things more than we love the Lord. When we love our own desires, our own selves, we love this world more than we love God, we are idolaters, and some of us will be adulterers. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 20, Paul says, you were bought with a price. You are not your own, so glorify God in your body. Your lives are not your own. 2 Corinthians 5, 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 2 Corinthians eleven two. 2, you have been betrothed to another. Paul says, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul is making the case, you're not your own you were bought and paid for. You're a married woman. Guys, get over it. You're a married woman to Christ. You've been betrothed to Him. Do not give your affections to anything else. The forgiveness for our adultery is ultimately the life of the Son of God because adultery is merely a symptom of our idolatries. 
See, if we're gonna get made right in the most intimate human relationship, we first need to be made right with the most important relationship ever, and that's with God. And that's only possible through Jesus Christ. See, the good news of the gospel is that we have a faithful God even if we have been faithless people. But in order to truly appreciate His faithfulness, we have to really realize how faithless we have truly been. And the Bible is clear that none of us are innocent from the true sin of adultery because none of us are innocent from the sin of idolatry. We have all pursued other lovers and been faithless to the Lord our God. But because of His faithfulness and His amazing grace, friends, we do not have to live in the shame and regret of our faithlessness. We have been forgiven. We have been restored because of what Jesus Christ has done. We can experience that forgiveness and restoration. Friends, this is why, by the way, the Bible ends with a marriage feast. Do you ever think about that? The Bible ends with this glorious marriage feast celebrating the beauty and the purity of the faithfulness of both bride and groom because God in Christ makes all things new, even our own adulterous hearts. This is why the gospel is such great news. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for the goodness that you show to us. We thank you that your commands are as relevant today as they were when Moses wrote them so many years ago. Father, we admit that we are a faithless people. As part of what it means to be human, because of sin, we are constantly tempted to drift away from you. But we thank you that you are such a faithful God. And Father, we thank you and celebrate that as we celebrate communion this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.